Explore presents a reading from Strangers Like Angels with a devil or two to boot by Alec and Jan Foreman. Chapter 29. Vignettes from Pakistan. 5th to the 13th of October, 1977. Pakistan. We were all set to explore our first city in Pakistan, Peshawar. I dressed up for the occasion and wore my brand spanking new dark green cotton baggy trousers, along with a suitable loose long blouse. Didn't I feel snazzy? The weather was showery, so I took an umbrella as we went for a ramble around town. The uneven edge of the road was slippery as the rain saturated the accumulated dirt and grime into a slimy gunge. Yow! I shrieked as my feet slid out from under me and I floundered splosh in a murky oil-slicked puddle at the side of the bustling road. What are you doing down there? Alec laughed as he gave me a hand to pull myself up. My bottom was sopping wet and filthy water trickled down my legs. I looked a proper Charlie. Oh, great. I guess we'll have to go back now, I grumbled. Fortunately, we had not walked far, so I soon washed and changed, leaving my latest fashion piece soaking in a bucket. We returned to the streets of Peshawar, which throbbed with passing traffic. The buses were amazing. Converted Bedford trucks, colourfully painted and decorated. Their cabs were festooned with tinsel and novelties hung from the rearview mirrors. There were red, yellow and blue perspex windows for the passengers to look through as they sat in the back on wooden benches. We walked over the bridge that crossed the railway track and on to the town centre. There we saw a sign for an insurance agent and entered the office to buy the required third-party vehicle insurance for Pakistan. A complimentary cup of tea was part of the deal. Next, we needed to find the pharmacy to buy tablets to treat a persistent dose of dysentery. Ever since we'd eaten that birthday meal in Bandia Mir, we'd been out of sorts. Maybe we'd picked up a few intestinal worms. The chemist assured us that his recommended medication would kill and cure everything, so we gave it a go. As the rain was pelting down, we took refuge in a shoe shop, stocked with handmade leather shoes, sandals and slippers. We had fun trying on the local styles. Some were comfortable and some not so. After visiting several shoe shops along the street, we made our purchase. Alec bought brown leather sandals that would be very practical, whereas I was drawn to a pair of glitzy gold thread decorated leather slippers, like a genie would wear. Typical, as I love glittery things. Our next stop was at a workshop where mechanics rebuilt engines. The men welcomed Alec's obvious interest and on the kettle went for another cup of tea. So the day continued as we explored the fascinating town street by street and shop by shop. 
The next day we drove 25 miles south to Dara, an infamous town where craftsmen made weapons copied from Klashnikovs, rifles and pistols down to pen guns. We wandered along the street, stopping to peer in the multiple workshops. Men were fashioning bullets by the hundreds. At one workshop, there was a right ingenious Heath Robinson creation. It had a big electric motor mounted on a bracket that was fixed high on a wall. It drove a set of machines, belts, pulleys and fans, all connected to one another and doing all sorts of engineering activities, including polishing the interior of rifle barrels. Every so often, a gun was fired outside towards the sky, a prospective buyer testing the goods. Bang! Bang! A sudden sound made me jump every time. We asked a craftsman the cost of his weapons and he showed us two rifles, which looked similar but varied considerably in price. Apparently, the cheaper one was more dangerous to the user than what he would be shooting at. If he had the money, he could buy whatever you wanted. We left Dara and drove ten miles to the north, where we were stopped at a police checkpoint. On our journey down, a policeman had insisted we pay him money, but we refused and drove on. This time, a policeman put his hand into the open window of our Land Rover and grabbed our radio. Alex swiftly snatched it back. The policeman was ranting and raving, Hashish! So we made a quick getaway. There was no telling how officials would present themselves to you, because later that evening, the police at the timber checkpoint stopped us. Were we carrying any wood? We assured them we were not, and they offered us a cup of tea and granted our request to camp nearby for the night. After a good sleep, we left the police checkpoint by 7.30 to venture through Swat Valley. It was a bright sunny morning and it felt good to be alive and well. Every day we had a new opportunity for discovery and appreciation of different cultures. As we drove northwards, we passed nomadic families migrating southwards for the winter months. Young children and chickens were carried along on pack donkeys. The men and older children were shepherding tall sheep and goats. Mothers carried great baskets filled with kitchen utensils on their heads. Small mongrel dogs scampered alongside, stopping every so often to sniff in the grass. The windy road ran parallel to the rushing river of clear blue water that washed over the rocks lodged in the riverbed. Mud and stone flat-roofed houses were perched on the hillside. An old man, dressed in striped pyjamas, had a bright orange henna-dyed beard. He sat on the edge of his wooden-framed bed strung with plaited string, enjoying the warmth of the morning sun as he watched the world go by. Black water buffaloes grazed on grass or wallowed in muddy water. Crops of maize and rice grew on the terrace land. As we drove deep into the hills, the pine forests looked resplendent with their rich green adornment. At Kalam, we crossed the river over a bridge and found ourselves on a rough track for six miles, winding onwards and upwards to a village built close to the source of the Ushu River. We were surprised to see camels up there, arriving with sacks of potatoes from the lower valley farms and returning loaded with firewood. 
in the distance the magnificent Mount Phalaxa, at 19,415 feet, stood proudly. We enjoyed the spectacular view as we stopped for lunch, before making our way back down to Kalem. We were waved down a couple of times to exchange travel news with overlanders in their vehicles. It was refreshing to have this western contact along the way to encourage each other in unfamiliar territory. That evening we chose a campsite well away from any village. But we were soon discovered by a group of 20 local boys and girls who persistently hung around and even climbed up onto our Land Rover. It annoyed us to have this intrusion into our personal space at the end of the day. Even after travelling for so long, we remained disquieted by this cultural clash. On Saturday the 8th of October, it was eight months since leaving England and we had driven 26,352 miles. During that day, we drove almost 200 miles over mountain passes and along farmed valleys. Most of the main roads were tarred and we actually saw one being made. Humbling to see the job was all done by hand, using shovels, buckets and wheelbarrows. There was no mechanisation at all. Alongside the road under construction, several women sat cross-legged on the grass verge, with a heap of football-sized rocks on one side and a growing pile of gravel on the other. They painstakingly broke up the rocks with hammers and chisels. Their small toddlers played close by, scooping up the gravel in their pudgy hands to let it go from a height and watch the dust fly away in the breeze. A mother with her crying baby wriggling in a cloth tied to her back paused from her work for a moment to reposition her baby to suckle at her breast. The men were swarthy and muscular, blackened by the smoke that rose from the stinky molten tar that they carried in buckets to pour onto the prepared road. A labour-intensive operation. There were even two men operating one shovel. One man dug the earth, whilst the other pulled the shovel by the tied-on rope to move the soil in a synchronised motion. Lahore was the city we reached after a further two days of travelling, a key location for us as it was the next post restaurant collection point. At the post office we were rewarded with eight letters from family and friends. Such a treat to be reconnected with loved ones and read their good news. We stayed in Lahore for three hot, humid nights. We strung up our net to keep out the clouds of whining mosquitoes. They were out on the battlefield eager to suck fresh British blood. They were restless nights of tossing and turning, only to be woken at the crack of dawn by the mullah's call to prayer from the minarets that towered above the rooftops. The overlanders' campsite in Lahore was in the grounds of the Salvation Army Centre. We were thrilled to make use of their showers. It felt good to be in fresh clothes and to have clean hair, especially when a local Christian who worked at the centre invited us to his home for dinner. Early evening the man came to meet us and we drove together in our Land Rover to his home, just 15 minutes away. 
we were introduced to his wife and eight children, who all lived in a small, simply built house with an inner courtyard. For dinner, we enjoyed a delicious lamb curry and rice, with bread, apples, bananas, sweets, and a choice of water, tea, or Coca-Cola to drink. Such generosity. We heard from the host about life as a Christian in that Muslim country. Apparently, if the opposing party came to power, then no new churches would be allowed and all Christians would be required to wear a uniform. We were disturbed by this revelation as we had never really thought about the life of Christians in other countries. Our own faith and understanding of the church was in its infancy. We exchanged addresses and photographs and hoped to keep in contact with the family. Back at the campsite, we found that Jean-Luc and Martine had arrived a day earlier than expected and before we had all reached Amritsa. We exchanged news of one another's adventures during our time apart and planned for the journey to come. Before retiring to bed, Alec and I pored over the map of India and were full of wonder and anticipation of what we might see and experience there. We checked that all the official documents were in order and then reckoned up our foreign cash and travellers' checks for declaration at the customs post the next day. Total distance driven, 26,866 miles. You've been listening to a reading from Strangers Like Angels with a Devil or Two to Boot by Alec and Jan Foreman, presented by Explore More. Explore More is an adventure lifestyle brand founded on the 1977 travel stories of Alec and Jan Foreman with a passion to inspire people to explore more of the world, engage with others and embrace global cultures to ensure a greater understanding for each other and enable positive progression. Discover great products and more on exploremore.com. That's E-X-P-L-M-O-R-E dot com.